the consumer cannot be an expert at all of the things a designer is that has spent 20 years or so in the business. So if somebody has 20 years of experience and they've done construction, they understand furnishings and how to execute on jobs and how to schedule and project management, those are skill sets that, of course, anyone can learn at some point if they have some talent. But you have talent plus experience plus connections and resources. And that's the value of having a designer is that it takes a lot of effort to learn all the things we have to learn to be designers. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I am excited to be on a podcast this morning with Gil Doby and Aaron Weir from Gil Doby. How, how do you how do you phrase your company name? Well, right now it's Gil Doby Coaching and Consulting. Although we are changing our name in about three or four months, so that will be coming out. Okay, so the timing of this is perfect. Now perfect. we'll probably go live on this uh, sometime in the next four weeks. Yeah, and uh, so that'll be great. And then I met you, uh, Aaron first, and then you, Gil, through uh, Patty Jolber at mm-hmm. Compliments Home Interior in uh, in Bend. That's how I first knew about you. And then I ran into you guys again through Klaus Bear at WRJ, and they're just an incredible firm, interior mm-hmm. design firm in Jackson. So it's kind of fun that here we are. And now I guess we're going to get to know each other a little bit better because you've got a conference coming up in Charleston, South Carolina on the 29th of September. We're looking forward to that. And we look forward to seeing you there and actually meeting you in person. That'll be wonderful. Yeah, you get uh, get two for one because my wife goes everywhere with me. (laughs) Well, I would just say that, uh, you know, the people that helped this relationship begin, uh, Patty and Klaus and everybody in between, these are all of our favorite people. So it's got to be a good thing going on here. Yeah, no, I'm super stoked about this. And uh, so while we get started, Gil, give us a little background, a little history, and you've done so many things. You are a true entrepreneur, which is I, which are the types of people I love talking to. So share with us your background. Well, I'll make it as short as possible. My first degree is in finance, and I got that degree many, many years ago and went to work for a Fortune 500 company, and it was in the floor covering industry many years ago, Armstrong World Industries. So I was in sales and marketing for them, and then later ended up working for um, myself as a consultant, and I was working with, and this is so far back, it's so crazy to think about it. But I worked with American Airlines, a subsidiary, and this is when they had a reservation system before what we have now with Expedia and things like that. 
So they were developing a uh, reservation system for the travel industry with Marriott and Hilton and budget rent-a-car. So that's many, many years ago. And then friends started hiring me to help them with their houses. And they would fly me around the country to do their houses. And then I started into- You must have some pretty neat friends. (laughs) She does. She definitely does. (laughs) And they're still friends after all these years. And uh, I ended up doing their houses in different parts of the country. And then after that, I decided, huh, okay, well, I'm moving to Denver to take a job. And within a couple of weeks of being here, the company went under. So I ended up staying, getting married, going back to school, getting a design degree. And then I started an interior design business. So that led me down this path. And um, and then back in 2007, Erin got married. She wanted to have kids. I wanted to change my career and do something that was really fitting with all the things that I'd been trained to do. And so that began um, this business, which has been 14 years now. So been okay, a long so, time. Okay, so I know I'm never allowed to ask a woman how old, but, <laughs> but I'm going to make an exception. When you decided to go back to school, how old were you? Oh, well, when I got the design degree, I was 35. So wow. not that old. No, I know, but it's just, you kind of get out of that school mindset and then, mm-hmm. and then you decide to go back to school at 35. That's, that's pretty impressive. Well, and then I started my, um, my design business after that. It was, gosh, let's see, I was probably 37 when I started my official design business. I'd already been doing design. And then I started this business in coaching and consulting at 52. So I figure... You know, Ray Kroc did it with uh, yeah. McDonald's. I can do it with with this. 52 is not that old. Well, and we have kind of this ongoing joke because I actually was an intern right out of design school with Gail. I met Gail through some family friends that were next door neighbors. of. Uh, it was actually not family friends of Gail's, but my cousins that were next door neighbors of Gail. And uh, she needed some help with uh, some CAD that was happening at the time. I was wanting to get my feet wet in the design business straight out of design school. And yeah, I mean, the rest is history. But it's we have this joke that um, I started when I was five with Gail and she was 15. And, you know, that's why I'm so young, <laughs> 17 years later. So. so, Gail, you've got a finance degree. How do you go? Because... One is left brain, one is right brain. Mm-hmm. And most designers are incredible at what they do because they can visualize, whereas most financial people are very linear. How do you make the crossover? Well, my brain is wired that way. So I do both. I, I can see 3D and I can see kind of big matrix things and I can see complex types of uh, schedules and all sorts of things like that. So it works because the left and the right brain, if you're going to do, especially with construction, it is very helpful to have both sides of the brain. So I'm very, very lucky to have it. So is that part of the asset or benefit to your coaching is the fact that you can take Mm -hmm. these incredibly creative people and actually get them to have a business that is profitable? Well, that is, I think, The unique part of it is that I I get it. I have run a business. I've had a design business. I've had employees in a design business. I've scaled a business. And um, and now I have a second business. So it really is something that 
you need both sides of the brain to be really good at doing that. And so for me, I like to try to assimilate all the information, synthesize it, and give it to somebody in a way that they can understand it. So for creatives, I try to find ways that they can relate to it where it's not scary. So I try to teach concepts in ways that they're able to process it as a creative. So you mentioned scaling a business, which I Mm -hmm. think is critically important. Mm -hmm. And obviously that requires you to sit there and process from a 30,000 foot level. Mm -hmm. Do you find most of the designers that come on board that that is their main struggle? The scaling piece? Well, just, just working on their business instead of in their business. Well, interestingly, the people, it depends on what stage of business they're in. If they're in the earlier stage of business, yes, it's hard. But if they are getting into the million plus business, which we call our boardroom level, okay, the people at that million dollar level have already started to work on their business quite a bit, but they get to a certain point and they can't figure out how to get past that. They're, they get stuck. That's the word I hear all the time. I'm stuck. I have been doing about the same volume for about three to five years. I don't know how to get up beyond that. So that's when they they typically come to us and we're able to look at it from a higher level perspective. But we also understand the internal as well because we've done it. And so we can help them with some of the strategies and especially because we've been coaching now for 14 years. So we have a little bit of experience working with a lot of different sizes of firms to take them beyond the level where they currently are. So I've got a coaching company that helps us with our business. And mm-hmm. it's fascinating when you start to pick apart, because I've always been much like uh, what you're describing of yourself is looking at things and looking at them on a bigger scale. My degree's in finance as well, but I find the people side of business to be more fun than just sitting in front of a computer screen, pounding mm-hmm. away at numbers. So, so when I'm talking to these guys through the questions that they ask, it gets my brain to open up and it's not that it's stuff that I haven't heard. And I think coaching is so important for, you know, we might know what we want in our business, but we don't necessarily know how to get there. Right. Well, and I think what happens with this, and one of the things I love about doing coaching, especially if I'm doing the deep dives, doing the VIP days where I'm working with an owner and maybe their team, and they come in, is I have to be an active listener. I have to listen to what they're saying, but also what they're not saying. And if I can do a good job of that, and then I can apply all of the things that I've synthesized over the years from either reading or working with other people, then I'm able to help them with specific recommendations that they can put into action. And I usually will say, okay, you need to do this in this order. So I'll say one, two, three, do these things. And if they do that, we have found over time that we have a proven system that works. And it takes people to the next level of thinking and in their business. So we have so many people that have been successful and scaled two, three, five, 10, 20 times where they started with us. And we've done it so many times that we know it works as long as they do what we recommend because we know it works. (laughs) If they try to argue with us, um, 
that slows down the process. But usually people come and they're ready. They're ready to dive in and figure out how to do it. And they're willing to trust us to do that. Well, I think the other part of that too, is that our ideal client is going to take action. They have to be willing to take action. So we can definitely give them the roadmap and identify the things that need to happen in their business, but they've got to be willing to take that action. And usually in most cases, it's massive action um, pretty quickly on their business. And that's why we have clients that have gotten such amazing results is because they're willing to do the hard work on their side as well. It's got to be a total blast and rewarding to see people that just kind of multiply their business several times in a fairly short, short order, provided they follow your system. It's true. Um, one of the clients I can think of right off the top of, the, uh, of my mind, she came to me when she was solo and she was really nervous about coming and doing a VIP day with me. And I think she's done two or three. I've lost count mm-hmm. at this point. Anyway, she has come back and she is at 14 or 15 people on our team now. Wow. And wow. so we've watched her grow from the small level to about 20 times where she started and um, that in seven years. And so that's a pretty significant change. And she was willing to do the work. She's a great student. And so we love those great students because they're the ones that will hear what you have to say. And then they're, they'll ask the right questions and they'll get into action. They'll go do it and they'll get the result. So I was in Canada uh, three weeks ago. And I saw Trisha Isaby, who you're going to see in Montreal. And I had a glass of wine with her. And we just, I just, she's got such an incredible mind. And she's got obviously a financial background as well. I think you guys, you know, the more I get to know you, Gail, and Trisha, you're going to hit it off famously. So as we're talking, we're talking about a variety of things. And I didn't even know why she wanted to, to meet with me. But she said, hey, meet me at the Odd Club. We'll go have a glass of wine. It's like. Okay. So we start talking, we start talking about business and she started with nothing five years ago. Now she's got 39 employees and, and four businesses. And it's just that brain that just keeps clicking as to, okay, how can I help the client? How can I help the client? And she is passionate about business and loves to look at things and break them down and figure out, okay, how can I do this differently? and really improve the lives of the people that we touch. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. I can't wait. She'll be speaking for our boardroom um, clients in uh, September when we see you. Yeah, that's... And I, I love it because she's going to be talking about 10Xing your business. And when you think that she did that in that short period of time, she knows what she's doing. She's a sharp cookie. Uh, she's, so she said, Ted, I don't know why you put me in touch with Gail. I didn't need coaching. Uh, we're doing fine. And then obviously you guys connect and she goes, am I ever glad you connected me with Gail? Because now I can see the benefit of how I can get to yet alone the next level. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a cool comment that she uh, shared with me. Interesting. Well, I was on the call when they met and it was just like two lovebird eyes meeting <laughs> each other. Yeah. I mean, if I could ever put Gail in a whole other person's body in Canada, it's Trisha. So we're excited that they're going to get to be in person next week and have some girlfriend time and really get to know one another. But 
it was it was just this like uh, almost like a song started playing when they <laughs> when they locked eyes and I'm like oh geez oh. here we go <laughs> oh the visual you just gave me was like that's super crystal clear so what's going on <laughs> so what's going on in Montreal well I'm taking a week of vacation and this is one of the things that I do is take vacation every time we have what we call a fifth week means there are five Mondays in a month yeah. that week is vacation for me okay so. I'm taking a fifth week. This is my second one for the year. And then Trish is coming to meet me for the last few days. I'm going to say a couple extra days. Okay. So this is super random. Why Montreal? Um, I had never been to Montreal and I was ready to go out of the country, but I didn't want to go to Europe. Okay. Especially with COVID. So I thought oh, I'd rather be closer to home. At least that's right over the border. So it's not really a, a big step for us. Yeah, it's not. And it's, Old old town Montreal is spectacular. Mm. Um, the cathedral is spectacular. It's a beautiful city, great restaurants, and the time of year is awesome. Perfect. I can't wait. So okay. excited. So uh, prime me as to what is going on in Charleston on the 29th of September. Well, this group that we meet with, these are clients of ours that have been through at least one VIP day, which is a full day deep dive into their business. And then they join our community and they go into this group, which is, oh gosh, about 40 people at this point that are million dollars and above. In some cases, they're either bumping up to or right around 10 million. So it's at one to 10 million range. And we have speakers and we have, um, I'm doing several sessions as well, but it's also that interaction, that community that we have that is so incredibly valuable. So over the drinks and the dinners and all the conversations, all the different meals, you just have this connection that you just can't compare. It, uh, it's very unique. And we have such a, a culture within that community that people love it and it's hard to describe, but it, one of the words is magic. It yep. really is magic when you get everybody together. It's kind of like a vacation for their business. So they're getting a lot of work, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of work done um, on the vision of their business and also just learning new about new family, essentially their design family and friends that can really help them explore the, the boundaries of their business and where they might be hitting a wall and things that they want to try or get excited about. And that's kind of where the magic happens is there's this relaxation component, uh, which is being away. And then there's the, the friends and family of Gilda We Coaching and Consulting that comes into play. There's some fun. Um, and then, you know, just so many big ideas that gets to, gets to be shared. And, I, you know, a lot of our people are very spiritual people. So a lot of walks in the morning all together and just really enjoying um, working on themselves and their businesses and, and being away from the heartbeat of, of the day-to-day, -day, the daily grind. Uh, so have you guys ever been to Charleston before? Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. It's one of our favorites. Okay. I was going to say, make sure that you emphasize, you talk about spirituality. The drive out to Kiowa through the, the banyan trees or whatever it is that cover the road is, ah. is magnificent. And it's very mm -hmm. peaceful and it's very calming. We'll have to definitely do that. Yes, I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> oh, you guys haven't done that? No, no we have not. Oh, I, I got to tell you, it is it is worth just the drive. Um, and it's it's spectacular. And it's one of those things that you think like that you're in Hawaii or something like that. 
My wife and I spent a week in Charleston probably three years ago, I guess just, uh, no, maybe during COVID. And we did that drive. We, we had a motor home. And so we just kind of left it and took our truck and drove. And it's, it's, it is magnificent. It's so worth it. Mm, so, great. so you, you teach these people, what, what's your next step? What's your next school? You teach all these uh, interior designers how to kind of take the, the glass bubble off. Do you find the same for you as maybe, can you get to the dealing with the 20 or $30 million interior design firms? Um, we're pretty close to that. We've already, yeah, we've, we've worked with a few companies that are up there in size. So yeah, we actually have some of our clients that have been with us in the program a while back and they're kind of at that level where they're now just um, going into other areas of business and they're expanding beyond where they have in the past. And I th- it's pretty fascinating watching people grow. And there are always some similarities in what they are having to decide about as you go through these steps of growth in your business and scaling. And there are a lot of considerations. And we have people who are now at the point of trying to exit their business and thinking about that particular arena as well. So that has become a new area of interest for us because there are a lot of people that are 50s, 60s, and they're looking at how do I exit gradually? Can I turn this over to my staff? Can they buy the business? Do I need to have it acquired by somebody else? So that's becoming a new conversation that we're becoming more involved with. You asked me a question when we talked a month ago about reading, and I've and I've dedicated to... <laughs> spending more time on my own reading because I'm not a natural reader because I feel like I read too much when I'm dealing with emails and all that stuff and publishing these magazines. I read plenty, but I don't read um, as many business books as I want to. And so since our conversation and through the coaching company that I deal with uh, on our side, I've started to read more and it's incredible how a, it makes you more optimistic. Mm. Do you find that? Yes, I I think so, because to me, optimism comes when you see the road ahead, right? So you're not thinking in the present. You are in the present, but you're also thinking about the future. And when I read, I'm thinking about new skills, new abilities, new ideas, combining new ideas, synthesizing new ideas. All these things come together as a result of a lot of reading. And the more you read, the more closely together and a variety of different types of books, the more your thinking broadens and the more you're able to solve interesting problems and see things from a unique uh, perspective. And I think that's what I love so much about reading. I was watching a, uh, a golf tournament and there's a guy there, Lucas Glover, and he went to Clemson and, and uh, this guy's probably oh, 40. He reads 80 books a year. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't think, that's a lot of books, Gail. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Gail's probably read about that since her sabbatical in 20, at the end of 2021. Yeah, easily. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and she's on this track. I'm telling you, I, she is always recommending books to me. I probably write down three or five books a week 
um, that came from Gail. And every time she comes to my house, she's got a stack of books or shipping me a stack of books. And that is so fun. I'm trying to figure out just when, when to get it in, right? There's some that I end up listening to on audio just during my walks to try to get some information in. But I'm also kind of trying to build up that reading muscle and trying to find the time in my day to to get in the reading because I see how much it's benefiting Gail and the acceleration of her vision and her ideas and her excitement about the future. So how many clients do you have right now, Gail? Oh, gosh. Um, for the company or for yeah. myself? No, for the company. It's over 100. Mm-hmm. So we have quite a few. And how many coaches do you have? We have really technically, I think, six of us. Okay. Yeah. And building. And building. We'll be We're adding, adding more some coaches, more this summer. Yeah. Um, is, how do people find out about you? Is it all word of mouth? That's interesting. We do have a variety of ways people hear about us, typically word of mouth, referral, and also speaking. And those are probably two of the key ways that people hear about us. And how often are you speaking? Do you do it once a week? Do you do it once a month? (laughs) Well, it depends on how you look at speaking. Podcasting is, of course, speaking. And that's starting to accelerate. I did quite a bit last year, probably. Well, that was, yeah, and that was a lot off of Gail's first book. She she had written a book and had a lot of podcasts that came off of that. Mm-hmm. But we also are always looking at speaking opportunities for sure at market. So we have um, industry partners that we work with at market to make sure that we're providing education there. Um, then, you know, different little events pop up here and there that, if it works with Gail's calendar and we can get her there, then we'll, we'll make it happen. So mm-hmm. we were just talking to ASID today. So it looks like there's a chance I'll be at their national conference speaking in September. So right Which before, right before we go to, <laughs> we go to Charleston. So luckily it's kind of in the, the same area of the country. So I think it's doable. It's gotta be so much fun to get up in front of a stage and get them excited about their business and motivated. It is. I love it. And um, this year we're doing a survey, which is really a fascinating thing to do. And it's about fees, salaries, and competing for talent, which is becoming a huge topic of conversation. And it certainly has been difficult for most people in the industry because trying to find really good talent, you've got the great resignation at the same time. Yep. You've got the COVID situation, people coming out of that still. But Perspectives have changed. People have changed. And what they're looking for in a job is different than what it was even six months ago. So I read an interesting article on Elon Musk this morning talking Mm -hmm. about the recession that's kind of on our doorstep. Mm -hmm. And people through COVID, just there was money falling out of the trees and you didn't have to work for it because the government was printing so much money. And he said, He said, this recession will be a different recession than ones that we're used to in the past because people are going to realize, hey, I still need to get out. I still need to meet people. I still need to work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I don't know quite what to expect with it. I've been reading quite a bit, but I'm not coming up with any conclusions about exactly what to do with it. But I think one thing that we have to be aware of as business owners is we typically are going to have a cycle about every seven years. This one is like a continuous cycle. So we've gone from COVID right into the impact of it on inflation and the cost of living is just out of sight. The cost of hiring people 
keeping people on your team, all those things are coming out of this. We have supply chain issues, all of these different things that are all tied in to the economy. So and how do you kind of triggered by the, the COVID situation too? So do you think that your, your, uh, designers are going to be affected? Cause I'm assuming if somebody is hiring a designer, most of the time it's more high end. How do you think they'll be affected, if at all? I think they will be affected for by a, a couple of different things. First of all, the costs of everything have gone up. Yes. So the cost of operating a business and hiring and having staff has gone up. And then at the same time, the issues with supply chain are still there. It's going to be continuous for probably quite a long time. And I, I just think that we are also going to see that the consumer attitudes are going to change. And we're already starting to see some softening in the market where not as many people are starting projects. And the projects, the, the budgets may decline and people may decide to stop projects. And that happens when we go through these cycles. I was talking to our designer. We turned our dirt two days ago for the house that we're building. And she's... Thank you. It's only taken us a year and a half. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. This has taken so much longer than we ever thought it was going to. And then of course, uh, what it's going to cost us has gone up by about a hundred percent. So now you take it from a comfortable project to, you know, this is starting to get uncomfortable. Anyway, we hired an interior designer, which this is our fourth house that we built. So we've had them before, but I've forgotten the value of them because we haven't built in 15 years. And the book she put together, as soon as we, you know, you make that financial commitment, you go, ouch, that hurts. And then as soon as you see the book, you go, man, we couldn't do this without her. But she just mm -hmm. mentioned an 8,000 square foot house in Scottsdale that people got their bids in and they said, we can't afford to, to, uh, to build this. We're not going to build it. And it was, she goes, you know, that hurts because we didn't expect to lose that piece of business. Sure. And it is happening. But what will happen is that people who may not build a new house may remodel a house. So I think yep. we'll see that will come back through the cycle. That will be a positive thing. And then also because they may not be able to do as much construction, um, furnishings will be a part of that. So that will come back. So we have these cycles that happen through mm -hmm. the business. And I've been around it long enough to see many of these cycles repeat themselves. Even in today's economy, we're starting to see some similar traits to what has happened decades before. So why is it somebody should hire an interior designer? Well, there's so many reasons. <laughs> um, but for those of, like, I, I can explain it, but not to the level you can. And for those of, that are listening, they're invaluable, even though sometimes it just becomes a line item but they are so much more than any line item in your budget. The consumer cannot be an expert at all of the things a designer is that has spent 20 years or so in the business. So if somebody has 20 years of experience and they've done construction, they understand furnishings and how to execute on jobs and how to schedule and project management, those are skill sets that, of course, anyone can learn at some point if they have some talent, but you have talent plus experience plus connections and resources. And that's the value of having a designer 
is that it takes a lot of effort to learn all the things we have to learn to be designers. And I just remember all the years, Erin and I did fix and flips, we did renovations, we did new construction. So we had a lot of experience in that particular arena, plus, Mm -hmm. of course, furnishings. But you learn about HVAC and electrical and plumbing and construction and framing and tile installation and creating moldings and millwork design. It's just, it's complicated. There's a lot to learn. Yeah. And I just go back to the floor plan. I mean, that's the basic of the entire home, right? And I think that so many times when a designer is brought in too late, there's already been decisions that have been made with the architect um, or the builder and the client. And it's, it's not a, a, comfortable living space and how it's been designed because they haven't thought about either it's just a cookie cutter shape or they haven't thought about how this family particularly lives um, and what what kind of needs that they have Um, and really that's what it's all about right is having this the sanctuary of a place to rest and live and enjoy life that's what our homes are about and so designers are going to help you understand not just that floor plan, but also, you know, what, what types of fabrics um, should you be using so that, you know, you can still have the poodles that jump on the couch and the kids with the Kool-Aid running around and and enjoying all of the things. And um, they have a better idea of the materials that work for your lifestyle to help with that comfort and really hopefully to elevate the lifestyle that you're currently living too, so that you can really enjoy your home even more. The other thing I would toss in there with this too, is that I think that designers are part psychologists and they are great interpreters of what you're saying and what you're not saying. Hold it. Psychologists or marriage counselors? Probably a little of both. (laughs) (laughs) A little of both. And they're able to get down to the heart of it and they are, I think that's one of the gifts that a lot of, uh, especially there are a lot of women in the business, but the the men too, they connect emotionally with with the client and understand what the values are that the client has Mm -hmm. and what they're trying to communicate through the vision that they have for their interior. And when you have someone that is your interpreter and can also help you translate that into a visual result, which is, it really is a tapestry. It's a it's like an orchestra. It's, it's a well-practiced um, orchestra. That's what the designer brings to it. And that that's magical all by itself to be able to do that and have that skill set. You know, you said such an important thing early on, and that is be an expert. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, could you imagine walking into a doctor and telling the doctor what's wrong with you? <laughs> I can tell you what the symptoms are. I can't tell you what's wrong with me. Right. Uh, and, and I'm a big advocate of going to experts, telling them what you want, and then letting them do their job, not micromanaging them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been told that I am the client that everybody likes because I don't get in their space. Here's the budget. Here's what we can afford. Here's what we want to achieve. Um, you tell us the best way to get to uh, the finish line. Can we clone you? <laughs> I, I will tell you, we are, this is our fourth house and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm the same way in my business. It's like, here's our resume. Do you like what we do? If you do, then we're going to give you suggestions that are going to work for you, but you can't just tell me, you can't micromanage us. Just let us do our job. 
And, and that's how I treat, you know, when I'm the customer, that's how I treat people. I just go, Hey, this is what I want. How do I get there? Um, so you need to teach a class to consumers about how to be a great design client, because seriously, that is not the easiest thing in the world. It's needed. Today. It really yes. is needed. Oh, I, I'm just, it drives me crazy when people want to tell you and we're not experts and you don't get passion until you're an expert and you don't get, uh, you don't become an expert overnight. Um, yeah. we just, we just had our sales team here in uh, Scottsdale and they're from all over the country. And one of the things we talk about is be an expert, be an expert in what you do, do your homework. You, you're not an expert by just walking in on that meeting completely cold, just, and then opening up your mouth and throwing up all over people. That doesn't make you an expert. Asking questions, finding out what their what their situation is. Now you can you, you know the problem that you need to solve. Okay, so I got to ask you this question because I'm looking at the the house that you guys are in, and I'm thinking I'm listening to Aaron, and I'm thinking. And first of all, when you talked about flipping homes, Gail, I literally <laughs> am envisioning like Aaron. A, she looks like you. She could be your daughter, and, and I'm looking at it going. Okay, a, a mother daughter that go out and get their hands dirty and flip these houses, these dumpy homes. That could be a TV series for HGTV. Oh my gosh! If, if we had continued it, it probably would have become that because oh. it was a really fun project. A couple of projects that we did, we learned a lot, and we had so much freedom in what we were doing. Okay, so when you see um, when you see Trisha next week. She has a gal named Katie who used to be on Love It or List It, which I'm sure you've heard of. Yes. And she used to be on Love It or List It, Vancouver. I don't know if she was on air. I don't think she was on air, but she was part of the crew. And there's some hilarious stories of just, you you get into these homes and they just, they fall apart. They're literally the money pit, right? We definitely had some moments um, and both of the projects, and of course, anytime we're doing remodeling, there are issues around the construction and the things behind the walls that you can't anticipate, or you can't anticipate that there are issues with the uh, lines coming into the house. <laughs> we had to dig up the front yard in the middle of a snowstorm because we had some issues. <laughs> yeah, and the um, the man that came to dig up the front of the house said, "You know, I used to live here." He was like in his sixties. He's like, "I used to live here when I was a a kid," and you know this is a swamp area at the time. And I'm like, okay, I can understand why you're now digging the front yard out. So, you know, the things you learn along the way in the process. So as I'm looking at your house, I'm thinking to myself, the architecture in the East is so vastly different than the architecture mm. out West mm. because you have more formal dining rooms, more formal living rooms. You have um, a reading room and whereas out west, everything is pretty open, and it's just like one big party house. How this do you? Kind of on the middle. Yeah, of that, it kind of depends. Say. Like I just, I just moved into a new home, and my main level of my house is completely open from dining to kitchen to living. Okay, so how do you? How how challenging is it to switch your brain from one style of architecture to another and still make it all flow together? Piece of cake. Yeah, it's really about it's problem solving. It's putting having a different vision for every project that you're doing and understanding the goals of it. For example, 
if I were to do this house without my husband, I would have different things. But because I want to make him happy, then I've included his perspectives in the house and the way that I did this house. But for our clients, it's the same thing. And it may be contemporary. It may be traditional. It could be somewhere in between. And you just figure out what is the way that it's going to look its best. And that's what your purpose is as a designer. I just remember one of the uh, the remodels that we did on a house in Vancouver when we lived in Canada. And I grew up in Toronto, so I was used to these smaller rooms. And so you would have a house that was 3,500 square feet or 3,000 square feet, and it would be four or five bedrooms. And, and then I'd look when we built our house, one of our houses in, in Bend, Oregon, it was looking at all the floor plans, and they'd be like 4,600 square feet, three bedrooms. And I'd go, three bedrooms? That's it for a house that big? But it's just, and it's way more comfortable to live that way, you know, mm-hmm. in our, in our sense of thinking. And then I go back to Naples or, or somewhere, anywhere in the East, you know, Atlanta and the houses, once again, they're more the traditional stuff that I grew up in. And it's just, it's just different. Mm-hmm. It is, but it's fun. I, we've had a lot of fun doing the projects together over the years and, I think that if as long as you're open to different ideas and travel is great for that and just spending some time thinking about the history of design allows you to bring a different frame of reference into design. So I think any designer that's passionate about the field is going to continue to learn so they can do almost any style that the client wants. So you mentioned travel and and mm-hmm. I started to think the lifetime value of a client for an interior designer, because they truly will take you all over the world, won't they? Your clients. They can, they can sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just go, I like the style that you, you did such an incredible job at our house here. We've got a place in Connecticut or a place mm-hmm. in the south of France we want you to come to. Makes it kind of a glamorous job. Well, I wouldn't mind that. Didn't do that in my <laughs> past, but I do have other clients that have done that. They have clients all over the world, so they have had that opportunity. But I think that's just one of the things as a designer, if you want to go to the very ultra high end, you have to continue to build your knowledge base about design and about the influences of design. Are you seeing more and more designers create their own book? I know that uh, Rush and Klaus are doing a second book Mm -hmm. of projects they've done. It's not a, a, an inexpensive thing to do. Most people that do a book are going to spend at least a quarter of a million dollars on that project. Yep. So it's yep. not a small deal. And you have to have a good body of work in order to mm-hmm. do it. So I would say that you it's not just that, but you have to have a top photographer and you also have to have a top stylist and you also have to have a really great writer and a, a point of view and a look that is desirable so that it makes sense for you to go through that because it's a great calling card, but that's a huge investment. Yeah, It's huge. And so I would say to answer your question that not a lot of people are going to do that because they may not have the book work. They may not have the point of view. They may not have the right photography and styling. So you've got to have all of that. And if you added it all together, that's probably about a half a million dollars. Okay. Yeah, I know what they spent on their first book, and it was, as you say, it's not a it's not a cheap date, but it, it just it it's a ton of credibility, and it really yeah. is a magnificent 
uh, body of work, especially when you're dealing in homes of that stature. Of course. And their book is just incredible. I mean, I know I definitely use it as a coffee table book at, um, in my home, and I always have friends that are looking through it and ooing and eyeing and aspiring to some of those interiors. So, Is it tough to get your clients to understand the value of good photography? I don't know that they necessarily know what good photography is, depending on what level of the business they're in. And once you get to the multi-million dollar level, good photography is something that if you can look at Architectural Digest, you see really good photography. So some of the top magazines and your magazine, good photography, and you're looking for people that really understand how to make the most out of whatever the angles are that they're shooting Mm -hmm. and then working with that right stylist to make that pop for the magazine is different than designing it for an interior, um, just for somebody to live. So having that good photography, when somebody is ready to go to the next level, we'll usually say to them, it's time for you to look for a different photographer. It's time for you to invest that mm-hmm. five to 10000 per day to shoot. I think the harder sell too to designers is the understanding of of the need for a really great stylist because right. so many of them are so talented in so many ways and you know, Oh, well I do my own styling and that may have worked for them to get where they are now. But for, for these bigger um, publications and opportunities like Gail speaks of um, it, it requires just a specific kind of styling to, to get into those magazines for sure. Um, are magazines of great importance to designers or is everything online? Well, I, I think it's both. I think that um, it depends on what people's goals are. So if they are just looking for credibility and visibility, and maybe there's a little bit of ego involved if they're wanting to, you know, it just feels good because you've got published in, a, uh, in your magazine or Architectural Digest or somewhere else. That is a big goal for a lot of people because mm-hmm. that's, you've arrived. You are good enough to have been selected by a magazine. And I think that's one of the drivers for a lot of people when they get into it. And then today, of course, we know that the publications are very expensive to do in print. And advertising is what normally is funding a lot of the costs of the magazine. So we're seeing less and less pages available. So therefore, the competition is huge for the very few pages that are published by all the different magazines. So today I think digital is becoming a really important aspect for all designers as part of their marketing strategy. And whether it be in a magazine or social media, they have to think about what is the strategy and where are my clients and what is this doing for me? And is it worth my investment of time and money to use these particular ideas or media um, to be able to get my the word out about myself, mm-hmm. is it going to help me accomplish my goal? Yeah, almost every time we do like vision work on a ten year vision or beyond that, um, being published is almost always on the list with our clients. It is, mm-hmm. and it, they, maybe they've already been published, but they have another another goal for that, or a number, or a cover, or whatever it is. But it's it's almost always on their list. Yeah, good photography is critical because, mm-hmm. and, and I'm always telling people, 
you need today you need to have an advertising mix well, or, or sorry some sort of marketing mix to what you're right. doing it's not all on one all on another um with computers there's there's some fatigue with that because we're getting bombarded with everything that's on a computer but our brain defaults to i can find it on google whatever i'm looking for mm-hmm. um Instagram is obviously an incredible tool for people, but it is that quick swipe of, okay, there's an image, there's an image, and you're looking at so many, it's does it register in your brain? Whereas if I look at Klaus's book, that I'm going to sit down with a glass of wine, I'm going to go through, and mm. and I'm going to get inspired with something in there, and it it is a completely more romantic or different sensation than if I just flip through somebody's website. Absolutely. Agreed. Because it's tactile too. Yeah, it's an experience, right? Well, especially if you're drinking wine, you're also using that <laughs> as well. So, um, yeah, it is an experience. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and it's it's just. Do you find that that if you're sitting down, it, you know, it's it's interesting with, and this is more about you, but I'll just throw in a, a little plug for our magazine is. Even when I'm talking to 30-year-olds, if I, if I put the magazine in front of them, because our mission is to inspire people who are building these expensive homes. That's it, with great photography, because our clients are obviously extremely successful and talented. Mm-hmm. But you sit down with that glass of wine, and all of a sudden, your blood pressure goes down, you're slowing down, you're relaxing, you're actually in the moment as opposed to, okay, I'm pounding through whatever it is on the computer. Um. Do, do you talk to your, when you're doing your seminars, do you talk to uh, your clients about things like that? I don't think uh, I would say that we do. It is probably not part of the general okay. conversation, but yeah, it's, it's certainly worth thinking about. And I think that there is a benefit for what you're saying for people to be in print if that is something that they want to have that different kind of connection with the right kind of clients that they're working with. I just, I, I find sometimes, especially in COVID, it was tougher and I don't, I'm not referring to print. I'm just referring to getting good photography of the projects that you're doing. And Aaron, your comment about getting a stylist, it's just like the consumer hiring an interior designer and we did it even before we had floor plans done. We had our designer, our architect, and our builder, and we had the team put together because I'd been advised, get them all early on in the process because it'll save you time, money, and stress. And my wife and I, we love building, and so we don't get stressed about it, but I know a lot of people do. And I kind of tease you about being a marriage counselor because I've heard that so many times because it is mm-hmm. a stressful proposition for people. Well, I I would say that for people that have a rocky relationship, they shouldn't do it (laughs) because it will make the situation worse because you are going to be forced into making some difficult decisions and sometimes conflict can be... Inexpensive decisions, for sure. Yes. It just increases the level of stress for a lot of people. So if you have a good, solid marriage, go for it. It's all good. (laughs) That's for sure. I know my husband finally told me, we, and we actually um, built this house, Okay. and it was a pretty easy process, but we've done several remodels, and he said, no more remodels. Nope, not doing that, not doing that. We're, we're new houses from here on out. <laughs> he was done with 
dealing with the, the pipe issues and the ceiling issues and whatever, the roofing issues. And I think that you have to decide what your tolerance level is for mm-hmm. stress. Well, and even um, in the last couple of years in my life transition and going from a house that I owned that was an older house to um, an apartment to now a house that I built, that was actually really, you know, Gail and Harry were cheerleaders all along on that. They're like, you can't go wrong with this because it's brand new. It you get to be a part of the process. You'll enjoy it. It'll be an experience. Um, and I, I just see the smiles on my kids' faces in the last couple of weeks. And it, it we're already, has won our hearts. So we love, we love having a, a space of our own. So well, well, it's also something that you created, like you've got the floor plan that you wanted as opposed to right. all the surprises that obviously, Gil, your husband is wanting to avoid. <laughs> I, to- I totally understand that. Oh, I, I, so you mentioned surprise. I'm going to tell you a funny story. My wife and I, this is, this is a rental we did in Vancouver and she's eight months pregnant and it's a one bedroom house and it is a disaster that needs to be renovated. And I, and I'm a pretty decent handyman and we get in and the one tub in the house, we take it out. It was pink and, (laughs) and the master cylinder to the sewer line uh, broke as we took out the tub. So now we've got no plumbing with an eight month old, eight month pregnant wife and no other bathroom. And it was, she looked at me and she goes, I've got to go to the bathroom. What do you want me to do? And I go, well, your parents live half a mile from here. I guess guess we're moving in for a few weeks. And it was just, so your husband's comment about, I don't want the surprises. I totally get it. Yeah. Yes, we will, as long as I want to stay married to him. <laughs> and since we've got almost 32 years, I don't think we're going to be doing any more renovations. Yeah, no, you're, you're, uh, it sounds like you're pretty solid. Um, <laughs> Gail, how do you make big, big decisions? Oh, that is such a good question. It depends on what kind of decisions. If it's a household decision, my husband is the voice of reason always. So um, it, it's joint decisions. And then even in our business, we have a leadership team. We have a whole team of people. And I trust that our team is so good that I trust the decision-making process that we have and working together to decide on the right thing for our company is the best way to go. And there are, of course, times when you have to make other decisions that are hard that you don't involve your team in. And I think you really have to go back to thinking through the pros and the cons and looking at what could happen, Mm -hmm. what is the optimistic answer and what's the pessimistic answer and finding whatever is going to work for you, but taking into consideration all those things. Yeah, we have a set weekly time with our leadership team that we know is set aside for whether they're big issues or smaller issues to solve. And we have been working together on a process of how to bring those issues to the table or even new ideas that could be discussed during that time. And it works for us. I know that when we started doing that weekly rhythm and actually having a leadership team, it took a lot of weight off of Gail and I's shoulders because we were making all of the decisions. And by spreading out that load and really relying on the expertise and the experience that we have on our team, um, it, it made a world of difference for us. And I, honestly, I think we're probably making better decisions at this point because 
we're, we're giving it time and the, the right minds um, to kind of swarm around it to, to really decide on what's best for our company. So if the leadership team comes in and says, we, wanna, we think we ought to do it this way, but you're, you were thinking the other way, how hard is it to acquiesce and go, okay, we'll just, we'll go with, with the consensus? Uh, okay, I think that's a great question. It's a really because, good question. Because there are different levels of decision making, right? So there are, there's consensus. There is, um, you're going to make the decision yourself, by yourself. Or there is getting other people's opinion, but telling people, okay, I will be making the decision, but I am getting your input. Mm-hmm. So those are the three types of um, inputs that you can get. Okay, read those back. Sure. Um, so there's I think it's worth people to really digest what you just said. Okay. Well, and I didn't ever realize this. this Consensus. Well, yes, there is consensus where everybody's got to agree. And, um, and you decide before what is the strategy of how you're going to make the decision beforehand. So is it consensus? Are you going to get input from other people and then make the decision yourself? Or will it be a solo decision? And you have to let people know ahead of time how you're going to make the decision because you don't want to have people in the habit of thinking they're always going to help you make decisions and that it's always consensus if that's not the case. There are times that Aaron and I will have discussions and we'll say, this is a decision for us. We're going to make the decision. We'll inform the team. But we also know that from time to time, we want to get their input mm-hmm. and we'll still make the decision. So we have to decide what is the best strategy as the people who are running this business. And, um, and, and that takes a lot of forethought about how you're going to make a decision. Yeah. And then I also think that it's important when you are involving your team members in decision making, one, to empower them to show up and and like we care about what you think about this. And so we want to hear um, your honest opinion. And also that honesty piece, you know, just showing up and playing full out. And we have had some hard conversations in our leadership team meetings. And sometimes it's that I I think it one way and Gal thinks it another and people are kind of trying to sort that out. And it's not because we're, we're butting heads and it's this ugly feast. It's, it's that, you know, we know that the energy in our business, sometimes it, it deserves conflict and it deserves having a different perspective or a different timeline to discuss. And so I think that that's where like our sweet spot really resides is, is really having that honesty that comes to the table. Um, on, on the issues and, and really problem solving together. Okay. So I was going to ask one last question, but I've got to ask two now. (laughs) Conflict. Okay. How do you, because the younger generation avoids conflict at all costs, they, Mm -hmm. they break up relationships via text, which I sit there and scratch my head. I don't understand how you can do that. Uh, Why don't you just dignify the other person, pick up the phone and say, you know what, this isn't working right? So how do you embrace or teach that healthy conflict is very, very needed and it's how you get the best out of what you're doing? Oh, that's such a good question. And I have been reading a tremendous amount about conflict because I grew up in in a way that I hated conflict. And so that has never been a strength of mine. And I'm having to learn 
how to address that and be open about my my thoughts about things. And I try, I've had to learn how to overcome my internal issues around it. So and, this is uh, why you won't do a renovation because you don't want the conflict with your <laughs> husband about the broken whatever. Yeah, no, I'm teasing. Well, it's it's actually probably pretty true. I don't love the conflict, but um, you choose your battles and you have to make a decision about what's really important in making. Um, is it making the other person happy? Is it getting along with people or is it having the best result? And within a company, if you don't have conflict, then you don't have people who care. Mm -hmm. So you must, and that's true in any relationship, including marriage. If you don't have healthy conflict, then you don't have somebody who cares. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you want to be successful, you want to engage in healthy conflict and understand that it's okay. Nobody is going to die from it. And you're going to be friends in the end because you're working for the greater good of the growth of your company mm -hmm. or your relationship. And with that comes that we've got to be honest with each other. And there, it's, there is no such thing as perfect harmony. And um, I, I had something with my husband this week and it was, it was hard, but I realized how much I'd grown in my ability to handle the conflict. But it's not easy for, especially for women, I think. Um, we are such peacemakers and we want to get along. But in the end, we sometimes have to welcome and even force conflict so that we can deal with the problems that are underneath. Yeah. And I think with that, I think it's all about having a growth mindset. So if you have a growth mindset, you know that you're, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. And so when we have conflict, that means we're going to have to have uncomfortable conversations and, you know, both of us are going to grow from it. So I think that that's also something that we really encourage across the board um, for our team, even outside of our leadership team, is having that growth mindset. And you know, if we do hard things, then we're going to be learn, stronger, be stronger, yeah. and and learn more about ourselves and be better professionals. Okay, so if I can say this, the um, the last hour that was the pearl. Those mm -hmm. two comments, ladies, awesome. If you're not having conflict, you're not growing. If you're not uncomfortable, get on, get used to being uncomfortable because that's where that's where the everything the benefits are. So I was going to ask another question, but that is just a perfect ending to the time <laughs> we spent. And uh, Gail, I did write this down: uh, if you don't have conflict, you don't care. Mm -hmm. uh, that's awesome too. I mean, it's both true. those things. Uh, it a hundred percent. It's true. Mm -hmm. But to your point, you know, a lot of us will want to shy away from conflict. And yet, if you're really passionate, you really care. Just like Tom Brady. I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. He gets in the face of his players. He wants the best out of everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway. It's absolutely true. So it was fun. It was so great being able to do this with you. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Oh, yeah. no. My pleasure. You're both awesome ladies. And I'm excited to get to Charleston. I'm excited to meet you guys in person. I'm excited to hear about your conversation with Trisha next week. <laughs> oh, you're going to love it. She is one of my favorite people because <laughs> I love the way she thinks. She's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. No, and she's so fun. All right. Um, Gail and Aaron, thanks for being on Friends of Build Magazine. We greatly appreciate it. You guys are rock stars. That was awesome. Thank thanks you so, so much, much, Ted. All right. See you soon. Bye.
Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine podcasts.